You're listening to the Turn Again Ministries podcast with evangelist Aaron Pratt. Turn Again Ministries is based out of Fellowship Baptist Church in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is dedicated to bringing America back to its godly heritage. Let's prepare our hearts as evangelist Aaron Pratt brings forth God's word to us today. I so appreciate songs that are made out of scripture. I actually have a uh, CD that we play in our car for our kids, and uh, it's a CD of Bible verses. They sing to Bible verses, sing songs um, that are Bible verses, and it's amazing. My my two-year-old, Nora, who I can't understand most of what she says, she's actually singing some of these songs. Pretty incredible. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Hosea. I want to ask you this morning to be uh, patient. It's 20 till noon, um, and you're not going to starve to death. Um, but it's, it's 11.20. Um, I had a lot of announcements this morning and everything, and that's just the way that it goes whenever you weren't here last Sunday morning. So um, I'm asking you to be patient. Uh, you're going to get out a little bit later than what you normally get out, but probably about the same time as what you get out whenever I preach. So, Hosea chapter 4, hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. Did I not give you the chapter? It's twice this morning that I've done that. Hosea chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out, and blood toucheth blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and every one that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field, and with the fowls of heaven, yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. Yet let no man strive, nor reprove another, for thy people are as they that strive with the priest. Therefore shalt thou fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. Over the last couple weeks, I've been uh, speaking to you in Sunday school, and over the last several months, I've been speaking to our college and career age, um, those who are coming to our house for Bible study, on who is God? What comes to your mind when you think of God? Now, if we are left to our own minds and our own ways of observation, we're going to be, we're going to come up with some very profane versions of who God is. We tend in our present day and age, and I believe probably in most days and ages, we tend to have a low view of God. It's not done purposefully. We don't try to have a low view of God. It's not like we set out to have a low view of God. But we have a low view of God. Our lack of knowledge of the holy makes it so tragic in a day and age where we have a holy book that we can go to to figure out, and as much as is humanly possible to figure out the infinite, to figure out who God is. This issue of Christians, even fundamental Baptist Christians, this issue of Christians not really knowing God is at the roots of many ills of the problems that we see in our churches and our families and our personal lives and therefore across the United States of America. We tend to point the finger of the liberals and the Democrats and so on and so forth and the Republicans for the downgrade of the United States of America. But the problem 
is with us. Righteousness exalteth a nation. And all nations that forget God shall be turned into hell. Our nation is being turned into hell because our Christians, those even in fundamental Baptist churches, we are in the process and we are continually forgetting and ignoring who God is. We see it, thus saith the Lord, and we choose to just not believe it. My brothers and sisters, I paint a very grim picture because the picture is very grim. We are in a very tragic situation in the United States of America. Because the majesty of God has been lost, we also do not know how to sense the presence of the Almighty. And we are without religious awe. We hear preached this attribute of God and that attribute of God. We hear preached the immensity and the infinitude of God. We hear preached the salvation of God for lost sinners that need saved. We get so used to these things and it becomes so old to us that we lose our awe and wonder of the majesty that reigns in the court of heavens and in this earth today. You see, what we think about God, what we think God is, is who we become. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, verse 7. You can judge someone, what someone really thinks about God based upon how they live. You can say a creed and you can say that you believe this thing or that thing. But it's not actually true until the rubber meets the road. Until you're met with a difficult situation. Until you're met with a trial that causes you to wonder whether or not God is really good. Whether or not God is really omnipotent. Whether or not God is really sovereign and ruling We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. We've brought God down to our level. We think that in order to understand God, he needs to be brought down to our level. We think that in order to reach the multitudes, we need to bring God down to our level. And the problem with this is that it's perverted the view of who God actually is. We've taken him off his throne in heaven. We've taken him off the throne of our hearts. And we've made our own selfish desires the king and king of our lives, the king of kings in our lives. And we wonder why our families are so sick and why our churches are going wayward. We've succeeded in taking God off the throne of what we think about God anyway. And destroyed who God actually is. And our thoughts. And our hearts. And our families. And our churches. And we've come to take the doctrines of God. And filter them through our own experiences. Instead of just believing what the Bible says. And believing that God is who he says he is. Psalm 50, 21, these things thou hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. We try to make God look like us. Make him more accessible. Ignoring that God is nothing like us, he's nothing like creation. Yes, we were made in the image of God, but it's, it's not a God with hands, a God with eyes, a God that thinks through our reasoning that, that we think. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. We've interpreted who God is based upon our own clouded lenses of experience in life. We want to make God work for us. 
You see that in a nation and a church and a family. When things go bad, all of a sudden we need God. But when things are okay, we don't really need God. The fact is, is that we are trying to make God a tool. We are trying to make God work for us. And if we don't think that we need him, then we don't really have any use for him. Therefore, our devotion life wavers. Our church attendance wavers. Is there any wonder why after September 11th, our church houses were full? And then not long after that, the church crowd dwindled off. You see, we have this habit of only needing God or only thinking we need God whenever things are tough. We want to fit Him into our life's plan instead of getting on board with His plan. If there's something about God that doesn't make sense to us, we try to explain it away. We try to fit the trinity of God into our own reasoning so that we can understand it. The fact is, is that God is not understandable. We only accept the attributes of God by faith. Do you understand the omnipotence of God? Do you understand the omniscience of God? How a God can know everything? We have a lack of revival in our churches today because we simply do not know the God we intend to worship. We know so much about him. We can recite doctrines and we can recite creeds. You can tell me what omniscience means and that's pretty impressive, but but God's not pleased with it if you don't apply it to your life. If it's not real to you, if it's not a part of your heart, if it's not a part of your life, if it's not a part of your being, it's not real. It's just something in your head that makes no difference at all. It's idle. We can only know rightly who God is through Scripture. It doesn't do well for us to just know about God. We must know Him. Philippians 3.10, that I may know about him? No. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That I may know him. That I may know the unknowable one. That you, dear Christian, You have the opportunity this morning and you have the opportunity each and every day of your life to get to know God a little bit better like you could get to know your wife or like you could get to know your husband or like you could get to know your very best friend. God offers that to you. He says, come see me. See who I am. Look at who I am through the scriptures. Look at my attributes. Get to know me. Learn of me and believe it. I'd like to, the little bit of time that we have left this morning, I'd like, to, I'd like to just give you a little introduction of who, who this God is that we've worshipped this morning. I'd like to go through and talk about who God is. I'm not going to dig deeply into these different attributes, but just going to touch on a little bit here and there of who God is, a little introduction of the great I am. He is self-existing. There is no other that is self-existing. We try in our own strength to be self-sufficient. We try in our own strength to be independent. And then we find again and again and again that we fall flat on our faces Because the fact is, is that we need God and we need each other. God has no origin. You and I have an origin. We were born on a certain day. God has no origin. All that you see that exists has been created by the self-existing one. He was never created. He has always been. He didn't cause himself. He's just always been. 
Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting, from everlasting, thou art God. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. He has always been God. Every attribute that we will see of God today, he's always been like that, and he will always be like that. Before the existence and eternity's past, before the existence of all that exists, God has always been who he is, and he will never change who he is because he is self-existing. There is nothing that he needs. There is nothing that he, that, that, that he requires for for him to be who he is. He just is who he is. He's revealed to Moses that I am the Jehovah. I am the great I am. You tell them I am sent you. He is the self-existent one. He is who he is based on who he is. He doesn't need our praise. Do you realize that this morning? Do you realize that when church was canceled last Sunday night, God didn't say, i got to wait another week to be praised? God's not just sitting up in heaven saying, I can't wait till next Sunday. I can't wait until I get to be worshipped again. God doesn't need your worship. My brothers and sisters, you get to worship God. He needs nothing. He offers his hand to be a friend to you, but he doesn't need you to be his friend. He doesn't need you to be his friend. He is self-existing. He is eternal. If I already mentioned it, connected, all of his attributes are connected. Eternity. The eternity of God is connected to his self-existence. If he is self-existent, that means he needs nothing to exist. He is who he is, and he stands alone by himself, independent of any outside source, to feed him, to feed his attributes, to feed his omnipresence, to feed his omnipotence. He doesn't need anything to feed those, and he doesn't need anything to keep him alive. From eternity's past to eternity's future, he is immortal. He is invisible. He is the only wise God, eternal God. He is eternal. In Deuteronomy 33, verse 27, the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, destroy them. Listen, we live in a world of uncertainty. We live in a world of chaos. We live in the United States of America that despite having a Republican in the White House is still crumbling at the seams. In a world of uncertainty, Christian, in a world of chaos, you have a God of refuge who is the eternal one. This is what Deuteronomy 33, 27 says. The eternal God is thy refuge. You need not fear what man can do to you. You need not fear what a government can do to you. Listen, I am broken about the condition of the United States of America, but I'm not going to go on sobbing because I know the eternal God that sits on the throne of heaven and nothing escapes his eyes. Nothing can destroy the most important work on the, on the face of this world today, which is what you are gathered together to do this morning. The church, God is eternal. He is your therefore refuge. And underneath you, to hold you up and strengthen you, dear Christian, that struggling with this oppression and that destruction is a God who will hold you up with His everlasting arms. His everlasting arms that are from eternity, past and eternity, go into eternity future, will never fail you. Marvel at that. Eternal. The comforting thing about the eternity of God is that when you are faced with the end of your life, Christian, 
when you're faced with the potential of something to take you out, you have a God that says, if you believe on me, you shall never perish. I am the eternal God. I will make sure that that happens. He is an infinite God. Whatever we say about God, whatever attribute that we give about God, He is infinite. Canst thou, by searching, find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? My brothers and sisters, we sit amongst our fellowships. We sit amongst our churches and we say, yeah, I know all about the omnipotence of God. I know all about the omnipresence of God. I know all about the sovereignty of God. I know all about this doctrine and that doctrine. Oh yeah, I know all about God. But Job says, canst thou by searching find out God unto perfection? You will never know to perfection the infinite one. That is why my brothers and sisters don't you ever let don't you ever let familiar doctrines and familiar things become old to you don't you ever sit underneath the preaching and the teaching of the word of God and say I heard this before I need to hear something new tell me the old old story of unseen things above. Let me hear it again and again. Let me revisit it again and again. Let it change me and mold me again and again. I could never find out the end of God into perfection. I could never come to the depths of it. I could never reach to the heights of it, of the almighty God, of the infinite God, because every single thing about God is infinite. Every single thing. Wow. Your sin is infinite because it costs a price, a penalty that is infinite. It lasts forever. It's an infinite affront against God. The penalty for your sin is in hell for eternity. That is an infinite amount of time. <laughs> Therefore, when we say that God's mercy and grace can pardon our sins, we are talking about something. His mercy and His grace are infinite. We are understanding then that something, if the penalty for my sin is infinite, if the affront against God is infinite, the blood of Jesus Christ must be infinite. His grace must be infinite. His mercy must be infinite. His justness must be infinite in order to cleanse me from all of my sins for all eternity. If you don't think your sin is big, then God can't save you. If you don't think your sin is a big deal requiring the eternal punishment of hell, then God can't save you. If you don't think God is bigger than your sin and you need to help Him to get your home in heaven by doing good works and this and that and keeping your salvation by good works, if you think that God isn't bigger than, than your sin, then God can't save you. God can only save you when you come unto the knowledge and understanding that the penalty for your sin is an infinite eternity in hell, but an infinite God, an infinite God of wisdom, an infinite God of mercy, an infinite God of grace came down and paid the penalty for your sin so that you can be saved for an infinite amount of time. Praise the Lord. God is omnipotent. Canst thou... By searching, find out God. Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? We learned several weeks ago that the word Almighty means the omnipotent God. And that every time we see the Almighty in Scripture, every single time it is connected to somebody who is in a trial or somebody who is potentially doubting the promises of God. My brothers and sisters, I do not doubt in a church house this morning of this size that there are many of you who are going through difficulties and trials. That is an opportunity for you to get to know the omnipotent one. 
That is an opportunity for you, you to get to know the one who has declared his name as the Almighty. The one who says, dear Dear Christian, there's nothing outside of my control. There's nothing that I cannot do. I can do it for you. You just cry out to me and ask me. I am the Almighty. And we find something connected to Almighty is God is sovereign. Sovereign. This is a term that means that God sits on his throne, ruling and reigning. Wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. Thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. God is the one that sets up kingdoms and pulls them down. This is why the Bible is true when it says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, and all the nations that forget God shall be turned into hell, because God will make sure of it. I'm afraid that this is one of the most, the sovereignty of God, God sitting on the throne, ruling over mankind and over all that ever exists. I'm afraid that this is one of the most misunderstood doctrines about God. We read after Calvinists that some say that God ordains even the mistake of the typist on the typewriter. Those were the really old Calvinists. We read Calvinists who say that God ordains, and they mess up the word ordain, that God decides through his omnipotence who will get saved and who will get unsaved. And we read in the doctrine, doctrinal books through the, through the, passed down through the centuries of men who were Calvinists, or at least a bit Calvinist in their thinking. And so they're going to have a perverted view, a wrong view, a wrong view about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is very simple, folks, and there are things that you and I cannot explain and cannot understand, but the sovereignty of God goes like this. God has the right to rule and reign in any affair of Satan, of angels, of mankind, and anything. But it doesn't mean that he exercises that right in every single situation. He has the right and he has the power to do anything that he wants to do. And there's no one who can take that right and that authority away from him. But it doesn't mean that God decides whether or not you go to the grocery store. Man has a free will. God is sovereign. Let that sink in, folks. We get so worried and frustrated over what's going on in our country. I join you in that. We get so worried and frustrated over what's going on in the next country and in the next country and in our families and in our churches in this present day and age. But you need to understand, you need to remember and always keep in mind that God's still on the throne. He's still on the throne. And if he allows it to happen, I just need to accept that. I just need to accept that. He has the power to change it. He has the power and the right to do whatever it is he pleases to do. But if he decides not to, I need not worry. Because God is still on the throne. (laughs) He's omnipresent. If you were in Sunday school this morning, we talked a little deeper of what we're going to this, in this uh, service about the omnipresence of God. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. You cannot hide from God. 
He is everywhere, even in the secret crevices of your heart where you try to hide sin from mankind, where you try to hide sin from your parents or from your spouse, where you try to hide sin from your church family and from your extended family. God knows, and he's, his opinion is really, truly, my brothers and sisters, the only one that matters, and he knows your secret sins. Why is it that you're so emboldened to say nobody else can see this sin, so I'll just go ahead and do it? It's because you have a wrong view of God. And our wrong view of God on these attributes that we're briefly talking about this morning is at the roots of hundreds and thousands of ills in our churches, in our family, and in our country. It's just the fact, my brothers and sisters, that when the rubber meets the road, we really do not believe He is who He says He is. We might be able to say, yeah, God's omnipresent, but I'm going to push that to the side right now and depend upon His grace and mercy. That is an insult. God, help us. And the omnipresence of God, He always provides. There's nowhere that you can go that He won't go. He can be worshipped anywhere. You came to the church house to worship God. You can worship Him in your car. You can worship Him at home. You can worship Him in your workplace. You can worship Him in the marketplace. Wherever you go, you can worship God because He's always there to be worshipped. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. He knows your thoughts because He's present and He's there to know your thoughts. He knows the intents of your heart. He knows your sin. Does it really matter to you that God is omniscient? Does it matter that He knows your heart? Or has this doctrine, like many others, just become old news to you? It doesn't really affect you like it once did. You've grown cold to the doctrine that God knows what's going on in your heart. He's known everything that's went on in your heart this morning because He's omniscient. You see, the the ills and the problems and the lack of revival in our churches. We have revival meeting. We're having one coming up at Sycamore Baptist Church this week. We have revival meetings. We go to the altar. We see revival meetings flooded with people at the altar, but then they go on unchanged. That's not revival, folks. That's a revival meeting. It's not a revival. I believe the roots of this problem that we see day in and day out in our revival services across the United States of America is because we really truly don't believe in our hearts that God is omniscient, that He's always there. He's wise. He's the only wise God. It wouldn't just be enough for God to know everything. We have a lot of people... <laughs> We have a lot of people, and you probably know some, that know a lot. They're very smart. They're very educated. They can tell you about this science. They can tell you about this book and literature. They can tell you all about the Bible, but they're not wise. Wisdom is applying what you know to your life and bringing something good out of it. God is wise. Do you believe that? Then why is it that when a problem arises, we go and seek I speak to myself as well. We go and seek the counsel of others before we seek the counsel of the only wise God. Amen. I mean, do you really believe that He's wise? Uh, maybe we think that He's wise, but He doesn't have the power to speak it to you because you've tried that before and He didn't speak to you. Maybe you should just be patient and wait on a word from the Lord. 
Maybe you should just actually show God that you're really serious and that you really want his wisdom and that you really believe that he is the only wise God, that there's not other people that we can elevate above God. There's not other wisdom that we can elevate above God, making idols of wisdom amongst our brothers and sisters, even in Christ. He's the only wise God. Seek him. He has the power to show you the answer you're looking for. You have questions? God has the answers. And he wants you to know the answers more than you. Trust him, seek him, and be patient. And he will show you. That's a promise of scripture. And he's powerful enough to show you. He's immutable. He's never changing. From eternity's past to eternity's future, He's always been the same. For I am the Lord, I change not there. For ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Aren't you glad that God doesn't change? Aren't you glad that that those many years ago when you accepted Christ as your Savior, that God didn't just all of a sudden change His mind. He says, I'm tired of you and your rebellion. I'm tired of you and your wickedness. You know what? I'm going to change my mind about that eternal salvation that I gave you. Aren't you glad that we can trust a God that never changes who He is, that He is who He says He is from eternity's past to eternity's future, so that we can trust that we have everlasting life? Because my brothers and sisters, if God had the ability to change, you and I would have no hope of eternal life. But we live in a world and a society where we're constantly Changing, looking for new ways, new paths. There's nothing about God, no attribute of God that changes. There's nothing about God, no attribute of God that diminishes. But man says that we must change the way we ministered based on a changing society. That we must keep up with the ways in which our culture changes. Listen, do you, do you think that when God wrote the Bible years ago, when God inspired the Bible years ago, that he, he had trouble planning for our present day and age? I mean, do you, do you think that he thought, he's, he's sitting up in heaven and saying, man, I wish I would have inspired a book that says that in order for these hymns to be meaningful to the young folks, that we need to make them into pop songs. God doesn't change. We don't need to change. Jesus said, if the Son of Man be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. The Son of Man was lifted up high on a cross. My brothers and sisters, when we denigrate the gospel and what we are doing here as a church by trying to fit it into the mold of the world, when we do that, whether it's in our church, in our lives, in our families, when we come to that mindset, what we're saying is that, is that the power of the cross is not powerful enough to keep folks interested. What we're saying is that the hopeless of mankind running around, the hopelessness of mankind running around, reveling in his sin and not sure where he's going to spend eternity, the power of that message, my brothers and sisters, will draw folks in. You need to believe that. Because there's nothing more powerful than the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't need gimmicks and tactics to bring people in. We just need people to believe that Jesus Christ dying on the cross, rising again the third day, is enough to get somebody interested. And if we can't get them interested with the just same simple truth of the gospel that the apostles used years ago and the prophets used down through the ages, if we can't draw them in, then they're not ready. They're simply not ready. We are changing with society. 
Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way and walk therein? And ye shall find rest for your souls. When God gave Moses the ways in which he was to be worshipped, he said, follow the pattern. Follow the pattern. Follow the pattern. He repeats it in Hebrews where he says, follow the pattern. There is a pattern set for us and how we are to approach God and how we are to do church and how we are to plant churches and how we are to evangelize the word. It's the world. It's already written in this book, my brothers and sisters. There's no changing to it. We already have the guide guidepost in this book. Ask for the old paths and you'll find rest for your souls, not for the new ways. I'm so glad we have a God that is truth. Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? We live in a world of fake news. We live in a world where, where those who call themselves conservatives like to also post and follow after fake news. If it doesn't smell right, it's probably not true. Do your research. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We have people looking for truth. We have one side of the aisle that says that truth is whatever you make of it. And we have another, people on the other side of the aisle that says truth is whatever fits the way in which I believe. No, my brothers and sisters, Jesus is the truth. And whatever Jesus says and whatever is written in this blessed old book is the truth. And that is what we need to follow. And that is the hope of mankind. Pilate, with Jesus in front of him, says, what is truth? And he was standing before the one who embodies and who is completely the truth. As he said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, not a truth, not a path, the truth. <laughs> The truth shall make you free. Many of you are in bondage to your sin. To your worrisome thoughts holding you down, binding, bounding you to the ground. And God says, the truth shall not set you free, make you free. The truth shall change you completely from what you were and what you should be. My brothers and sisters, we need to grasp these truths in Scripture. We need to grasp the truths about who God is, and we need to believe them. We need to not just have a head knowledge of these things. If we're ever going to be changed, if we're ever going to experience real revival, the only way is to believe that God is who He says He is. He is the truth. I'm so thankful that He's just. Hey, surely God will not do wickedly, neither the, will the Almighty pervert judgment. The bad news is for us sinners is that a just God throws us into hell because we're unrighteous. That's a scary thought. But I'm so glad that God takes away my unrighteousness and puts the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon me so that a just God could look upon me and see no sin and says his sin is buried in the depths of the sea. His sin is separated from me as far as the east is from the west. I'm so glad that I have a just God who says, I don't see his sin, I see Jesus Christ, and therefore he has a home with me for all eternity. Aren't you glad you have a just God? Aren't you glad you have a God who doesn't just love, but is love? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm so glad that man, God doesn't take man's low view of love, it says that we don't want to make people feel bad. 
We don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. I'm so glad that years ago, my God spoke into my heart and said, Aaron, you're a sinner and you're on your way to hell. I'm so glad that he made me uncomfortable about my sin. I'm so glad for the many times when I didn't yield to God and the many times where I experienced rebellion against God, God spoke to my heart and he says, Aaron, this is not the way. Aaron, this is the way of destruction. Aaron, turn around. I'm so glad for the thou shalt nots in scripture. These are the things that are good for me. God's conviction. God making me feel bad. A preacher like Pastor White standing from this pulpit. He might make you feel bad sometimes, but it's for your good Christians. It's love. Love isn't ignoring your sin and winking at it and saying, it'll be okay because God is so loving. That's a perverted view of love. That is not love. I'm so glad that God is good. So, I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all the Lord hath bestowed on us. You mentioned the goodness of God and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindness. I'm so glad that God is good. Could you imagine having an omnipotent God that wasn't also good? Where would we be? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Let thy goodness like a fetter. Bind my wandering heart to thee. It is the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that in my sin years ago, when I was in rebellion against God, I recognized the goodness of God, and that was what brought me to repentance. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. We say the old Christian saying, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. You believe that, Christian? Say amen. amen. Listen, when times get tough and the rubber meets the road and trials and difficult circumstances hit your way, that is where it really matters whether or not, that is where it really tells whether or not you believe that. Whatever trial, whatever circumstances, whatever bad news hits your way, However horrible it might seem, you need to understand that God is still good. Whatever difficulty He's bringing you through, whatever difficulty He allows to present it before you, He's doing it because He's good. He's doing it because He's a loving Heavenly Father and it's the best thing for you. Christians, get a hold of that. Learn that. Believe that. So when the difficulties come, you say, whatever may come, I'm just going to believe in the goodness of God. I'm just going to trust in the goodness of God. I'm just going to believe that whatever the circumstances may seem, whatever how hard and difficult life gets, However disappointing my future seems that God is still so good to me and so loving to me that he would only do it if it was what was best for me. That is so important, Christians. He's holy. Holy. It's a four-letter word that I think a lot of Christians do not like to hear holy, holy, holy. Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. God doesn't just exemplify holiness. He is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, pure, and separated. Holy. We are satisfied. 
We have learned to live in this present day and age and make excuses for our unholiness, for our lack of separation, for our impurities. We say, well, this is the day and age in which we live, and so God must just be accepting of that. No, no, no. God is immutable. He's always been holy and He always will be holy. And just like in the Old Testament, He commands you today to be holy. We're no longer disturbed by the evil around us like we once were. Whatever the holiness of God is, it is a deep mystery. I don't understand it. I, I don't understand it. But I have to preach it to you this morning. In every case, the holiness of God is mentioned in Scripture. When man is confronted with the holiness of God, he gets on his knees and bows in worship. It's a name that causes grandeur and wonder and worship in the heart. It has to do with moral health being set apart for God's service. A vessel cannot be holy and infused into the moral depravity of the world just as a man cannot be healthy and lie in a cesspool of disease. You cannot be holy and allow the entertainment of this world to be infused in you. You cannot be holy as God has commanded you to. You cannot be holy and allow the corrupt entertainment of this world to infuse into you. You simply cannot do it. Holiness set apart for God's service with moral health. God didn't say, be ye holy as I am holy. God didn't say, I'm up here in holiness and I want you to strive to get there. No, he said, be ye holy for I am holy. My brothers and sisters, the only way we can actually exemplify the holiness of God is for us to accept his holiness. The only way that we can be holy is by accepting and just agreeing with God in what He's trying to do in our lives. Responding to the convictions of what God is trying to do in your lives. His name is Jehovah. He is the Master. He is the Strong One. He is the Lord of hosts for future and present state of things. He is the Almighty God. He is the Most High. He is the Transcendent God. He is the Everlasting God. He is the Jehovah God, Jireh, the God that will provide. He is the Lord that healeth for anyone who is sick. He is the Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner, Christian soldier. When you fight in this Christian race, when you fight in this Christian battle, you have a banner to display, and that banner is the Lord, our our banner. He is the Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, the Lord my shepherd, the Lord our righteousness, the Lord is there. He is the king, the lawgiver, the judge, the rock on which you can stand that will never crumble, the fortress that will never be penetrated, the tower, the strong tower, the deliverer for whatever evil you are facing, the shepherd to gently lead you and chase away the wolves that would destroy you. He's the husband. He's the husbandman. He is the father. He is God. Please stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.